Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. Yes, good morning. Now you've got Peter Vlahos again uh, this morning here on the Sporting Goss. Goss having a couple of days off early this week uh, and all being well he'll be back uh, behind the microphone at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning wherever you may be listening on SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury and through the southwest and also on the SEN WA app gee showers very windy uh, in the southwest this morning and in fact uh, it's blowing a gale it's been blowing a gale since about Midday yesterday, possible small hail around the region. Uh, winds westerly 50 to 60 kilometres, and they'll tend southwesterly at 40 to 50 in the morning, and then they'll increase again to 40 to 60 in the middle of the day. So uh, make sure you get your lead weights around your ankles and don't get blown away. It is really a very gusty conditions. Uh, the expected top, actually, in Bunbury and in the regions around the southwest, Getting no higher than around about 13. For tomorrow, uh, the chance of showers, wind southwesterly becoming light before dawn and a top of 17 degrees. So progressively gets a little bit better as we go. Well, as far as the football's concerned last night, it didn't get any better for the West Coast Eagles. Uh, what a bizarre night here at Optus Stadium. West Coast against Melbourne. Of course, play, as we know, early in that final term was paused. Players and officials had to leave the field because of the threat of lightning and severe weather around Optus Stadium. They were off for around about 29 minutes before they returned. And when they did return, with about 15 and a half minutes remaining on the clock, the West Coast Eagles stormed back. At one stage, they needed six unanswered goals to hit the front. In the end, they only lost by nine points in what was a a very exciting climax to a bizarre night uh, in AFL footy last night, Monday night footy. And uh, there was a bit of lightning about. It didn't certainly uh, get close to Optus Stadium. But speaking to people at the stadium last night, there was uh, flashes and bolts of lightning, uh, certainly in the horizon. And in the end, Duty of care and uh, player safety and safety for everybody at Optus Stadium was paramount. So they took uh, them off. In fact, I, I can't recall a game that I've been involved with as a broadcaster where that has happened before. And I've been around a number of years. Uh, if you have got a story of where you may have been, where those sort of conditions that prevailed last night led to a game being paused, and in the end, even abandoned because it got so bad that the uh, game didn't resume. Love to hear from you. 0487 736 736. That's the Sporting Goss text line. 0487 736 736. And on the back end of the game uh, concluding last night, and it did conclude after 9 o'clock uh, local time, we are now uh, 
looking at the Western Derby. Now, the AFL fixtures are due to be released sometime today for this round. We know that uh, Fremantle host a, uh, the Derby against uh, the Eagles. Both sides now go into the match with losses under their belt, and their form nothing flash. So you'd think the Eagles would probably start favourites to a certain degree, uh, only because they took on Melbourne, and particularly in that last period of that final term, they showed something, while the Dockers, on the other hand, were very disappointing in their game against Brisbane. And we'll speak to Todd Curley a bit later on. Uh, He was an assistant at Fremantle for a while, He's now coach of South Fremantle. Last weekend, we had the WAFL Derby, and South Fremantle pummeled East Fremantle by about 10 goals, and that makes it 12 consecutive Derby wins for South over East. Well, that's about the same number that West Coast have got uh, over Fremantle in recent times. So they say the droughts are due to be broken, and I'm wondering whether Fremantle, as we know, are very much overdue for a win can maybe cause a surprise and beat the West Coast Eagles this weekend because if that happens, it almost, because the Eagles then go to Brisbane for the final home-and-away game of the season at the Gabba, and that's not going to be easy. But if the Eagles don't win this weekend, you're just wondering if they will be playing finals in season 2021. A man that cast an eye also over the game last night, both the Eagles and Fremantle, is uh, celebrated AFL uh, coach in Rodney Ede. We'll speak to Rodney Ede on the Sporting Goss uh, very shortly as well. Plus, uh, we'll touch base with Richard Garcia. The Perth Glory's pre-season campaign is underway, and their first game is only about a couple of months away. And we'll speak to Richard Garcia about the new acquisitions to the club. As I mentioned, Todd Curley's going to join us, and our regular on... uh, Tuesday is Tyson Beattie with a star-spangled banter, and we'll talk about everything in American sport, including uh, the Team USA that took out gold at the Tokyo Olympics and everything to do with American sports, and that's coming up. So stay with us here on the Sporting Goss between now and midday. As I said, love to hear from you on our Sporting Goss text line, 0487 736 736, or you can give us a call. Love to hear from you as well on the open line, 1312 55. West Coast going down to Melbourne last night. Uh, That's back-to-back losses for the West Coast Eagles uh, in what was, as I said, a very interesting game of football in more ways than one. Let's hear from Adam Simpson. Uh, He had the press conference after 10 o'clock last night. Not many people would have picked up uh, how he saw the game last night. Eagles fans, here's your coach. What were your thoughts once the lightning happened and what were you planning once you went down to the rooms? A uh, bit of divine intervention, I thought. Uh, <laughs> we were playing at the start of the last. Um, oh, look, we we were trapped in our D50 that started that last quarter. Um, and I got a chance to address that and try and reset ourselves mentally. And then, not having experienced it really before, trying to get them prepared to come back on. We try to get loose, you know, and relax a little bit and not... not um, sometimes you try so hard, it goes the other way. And I thought there were stages tonight. We, the harder we tried, the worse we got. And, you know, the third quarter, stoppage work. Um, Melbourne, a very good side, very consistent. So we tried to loosen up a little bit, to be honest. And then we come out and played a lot better footy in the last 15 minutes. And, geez, we were a sneaky chance there for for the last five minutes but um, not not to be but some 
good signs. We saw a spark with our players, which we haven't seen for a while. So we need to leverage off that, but we're going to still assess some of the points of the game where we, we got well beaten. Not like you changed everything with the way you were playing. You were a lot freer with the ball. You were attacking them. Obviously, you had to because the game was on the line. But is that something that you can use for four quarters instead of the 20 minutes you had left in that game? Well, yeah, if you're trying to attack from your back half and it's wet and you're playing against a really good um, outfit that defends well, it, you, the quicker you go, the more trouble you get into. So I thought I thought we had a bit more composure in the back half, won some contests and then got some real speed off the contest. Like you, you're just not going to get from D50 to forward 50 without going through a contest against Melbourne. So we won a few of those, a um, bit more predictable, but then we got going in the front half Got some real energy with our entries, repeat entries, won our contests and um, played the way that we'd like to play. So that's that's a sign that we can take, a positive sign we can take from it. So, But we've still got to work on the lapses and the momentum that just costs us an extra two or three goals and it should and puts the game almost out of reach. You, you mentioned that spark that you saw late in the game there. Do you sense that because... Before that lightning strike and everything, the game seemed just to be petering out. Do you think that this could be some sort of even mini turning point just in terms of players' mindsets and things like that? Um, maybe, yeah. Uh, look, you know, we'll we'll, um, we'll have a look at the vision. I, I think you know, our boys are capable of, of very good things. Um, you need your good players to play well. And I thought in that period, you know, Nick, Yo, um, Darling, Kennedy, Allen we went back forward. We, you know, we, we lost him for a little while when we lost Shannon. Um, and then in the back half, McGovern. So, you know, our good players responded and, and really stood up. And that's that's something we can leverage off next week. We're with Hearn. What is the injury exactly and how bad does it look? I think it's a very, very slight hamstring, but not good enough to come back on. So we had to sub him out. Adam, how pleasing was it to, to see that sort of game? from Elliot Yo, with what he's had to go through with the, the OP and the recovery from that? Yeah, yeah, once again, he, he stood up as well. I mean, contested possessions and um, clearances, and you can tell when he clicks into that beast mode, I suppose. Um, and competing against some very good opposition, I thought Melbourne's mids overall probably had a, a more consistent game, whereas we had periods where we were on top and we we didn't capitalise as much as, as Melbourne did. I think they kicked six or seven goals from stoppages and we kicked two so that that third quarter we just lost field position through mainly the clearances and it was really difficult to respond from our back half so but Yoey yep look he's he's you know um, obviously still building to his best best footy unfortunately it's around 21 um, and it's just taken a while to get going with that uh, that injury he's had that um, you know he was obviously out of action for 12 months so we're really happy for him that he finished off well how are the guys feeling, I guess, at the first sense coming off the ground after a, it seemed like a, a really bruising game and, and in those conditions, how are they all feeling? Uh, disappointed that we didn't win. Um, so, But optimistic that we've, we've showed a glimpse there at the end that we can, we can play some really good footy. So it's not completely lost. You know, we've been down on form and down on confidence, but we're still seventh. Um, I don't know how. It's just... Can you finish seventh if you only win ten games? I'm not quite sure. It seems to be uh, every week we seem to stay there, but um, we know what's coming. We've got two games left, and we probably need to win both of them to make finals. So 
the ball's in our court, like I said to the players, and we need to look at the areas we need to improve, but also take some some growth out of what we did right tonight. It highlights, I guess, the, the high stakes of next week's derby. Um, what would be the, the priority for you out of tonight or the, the big thing that you think you need to, to adjust or improve? Well, I think I've said this for a few weeks now, that the, the lapses in momentum that you know happens every week and every game, we seem to be leaking a few extra goals than we should, and it goes from being one or two to three or four, and then suddenly you're trying to chase down um, you know, a pretty hefty deficit. So can we stay strong, stay composed, work our way through momentum, get it back, and then put the foot down? And I thought in the second quarter we did that. You know, we just didn't convert. We, we you know, copped a few punches in the first, made the most of opportunities. The second quarter was good. You know, had some good, good supply, just missed a couple of shots on goal. And then that third quarter for probably 20 minutes, we, um, we let it slip and that, that's what's cost us in the end. Personnel-wise, who do you get back next week? I'm, I'm thinking more like Shuey, Barris, Ryan, Duggan. Are they all in the frame? Um, probably not Duggan. But we'll get, uh, I think Barassa will be available. Shuey will be, hopefully Liam Ryan. Willie's an extra week away if, if that all works out well. Um, Jermaine Jones may be available for some minutes. So, yeah, we're missing some soldiers and we just haven't quite got that synergy right um, this year. And we'll lose Shannon tonight and, you know, we could have waited on JK and see what happens there with his, his knee. But, yeah, we'll get a few players back. What was it with JK? Because he pointed to that outside of his right knee. To I don't know. No, he came back on, so it's, you know, fingers crossed it's not too much. And Duggan, what was the, the injury there? Uh, he's got a bit of a weird... Um, his knee's been troubling all year and there's a bit of soreness just below it, so we're just going to investigate a little bit more. So we'll have to wait and see what that is. I think it's been difficult to get a scan while we've been in quarantine, so we'll, we'll get that in the next 24 hours, hopefully. He might need a clean out or something like that. Do I don't you? know. No, it's, I don't want to say that because he might be fine. But yeah, that's um, something we're going to wait on the next few days. Are you still in quarantine for, for an extra week? Yep. Yep. So we. So how, how, how does that impact you? Obviously, coming into a, into a derby, another week of living the way you are. Don't worry me. I'll go home and go to the footy club. That's the. That's uh, that's the rules at the moment. So you. Know, <laughs> You can be there at home or at the football club. So that's, uh, it's, we're very fortunate. We've been given an exemption to, to work and um, it's not too much trouble at all. So I don't have any complaints in other of our players. It's weird, weird to be in quarantine, not out in the public when the, the public is so excited about a derby. Do you think that's a good thing that keeps everyone level-headed or do you like the hype that, that helps to lift blokes up? Uh, to be honest, I've you know, been around a little while now and they don't really change. The prep doesn't make much difference and the the hype's not as, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be, every week's important, you know, so we, we know what's at stake this week and both clubs being around the mix um, should make it as a, you know, it's a high stakes game, so uh, we can't wait. The uh, coach of the West Coast Eagles after their defeat last night, as I said, uh, brave West Coast Eagles falling just short of what would have been a miraculous victory uh, in one of the most uh, bizarre matches in the history of the AFL here at Optus Stadium last night. Seven minutes into the fourth quarter, the players were sent to the sanctuary of their respective change rooms because of lightning in the area. They waited for a designated 20 minutes and then need another 10 minutes to cushion 
to ensure there was no more electrical storm activity in the area before being able to resume. Uh, in the end, uh, they didn't. Uh, one stage was ten nine sixty nine to five six thirty six, and uh, had played not resumed, that would have been the final score. But it did resume, and the Eagles kicked four answered unanswered goals after the resumption, and the comeback was triggered as we heard by Josh Kennedy's goal. Uh, but in the end, uh, they just fell short. And interesting, Adam Simpson saying uh, when he was asked the question about the fact that the players had to leave, he said it was a bit of divine intervention because um, the Eagles came back a, a different side after the break, while Melbourne, on the other hand, probably thought they'd had uh, done enough to win the contest. But anyway, uh, there you go, Adam Simpson. We'll have more on that game uh, a bit later on here on the Sporting Goss. Rodney Ead's going to join us next. A man, a celebrated AFL coach in his own right, and a great, astute man when it comes to analysing teams and their performances. We'll ask him about West Coast. We'll ask him about Fremantle and whether he feels that West Coast, as Adam Simpson pointed out, they lose the game against Frio and then go to Brisbane. There's a serious chance, even though they've been in the top eight for the most part of the season, that the Eagles may tumble out. We'll see from Rodney Ede whether he thinks the Eagles have got it in them to play finals this season, and where does Fremantle sit? That's coming up after the break here on the Sporting Goss. It's 19 past 10. Good morning. Yes, Peter Vlahos in for Tim on uh, this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, A bit later on, you'll hear from Matthew Wade, who is the captain of the Australian T20 side, that were rolled in 13.4 overs for 62 Yes, all out for 62. In fact, uh, Bangladesh had never beaten Australia in the short form before last Tuesday, but have since achieved the feat four times in six days. So they took the one-day series or the T20 series by four games to one. As I said, uh, Australia routed it actually for 62 and their second consecutive series loss Uh, Losing, of course, to the West Indies and Bangladesh. So they're not travelling that well at all. Uh, Matthew Wade a bit later on. A man that actually, in his day, as a young fella, was a decent cricketer for the Glenorchy Cricket Club. And I think he may have made his debut as a 14-year-old. But we know more of his feats in Australian rules football. We're talking about Rodney Ede. Rodney, a very good morning to you. Morning, Peter. How are you, mate? All right? Good. You weren't a bad cricketer back in the uh, in your younger days there in Glenorchy, were you? I think you did make your day, first grade debut. Was it for Glenorchy when you were 14 or 15 or something? Yeah, I was 14 year old. So and then uh, played in uh, through the state under 19 carnival. My last one was in Perth. Actually, played at the Wacker. So um, enjoyed uh, enjoyed my time in cricket. When I went to Melbourne when I was 17, I played uh, for Richmond in the district comp, but I. I had to make a choice at that stage. I wasn't a good enough footballer to uh, like some of those other guys who could start training in uh, March or whatever. So um, mm. the practice matches were started in Hawthorne in the February. So um, uh, obviously, obviously got stuck into the footy. Yeah. Okay. We're already getting some people uh, SMSing us on zero four eight seven seven three six seven three six. Would like me to ask you a couple of questions. We might pick it up straight away, Rocket. Before we talk about the Eagles and the Dockers, he yeah. says, Pete, can you please ask Rodney Ede what he thinks of North Melbourne and their chances of rising up the ladder next season, and uh, and where they go from from there, and also the possibility of picking up Jeff Horn as their number one pick. That's Paul from Margaret River. 
Uh, yes, Paul, I like what North are, are doing at the moment. Um, some of the younger types like Larky and Zerha and all these, uh, Thomas are really playing well. Um, I think if they can hold on to their experienced players to uh, give them that, uh, I suppose, chop out. I think teams sometimes go for kids and they say, oh, yeah, we're youth, but there's too much youth. And then their performance is up and down. And I think it actually uh, suppresses their development, actually. And I think North have got it right. They've got a good blend of older players. But if uh, youth are developing well, and yes, I would think they would get Horn as their number one pick. It'll be interesting to see whether they nominate Dacos first and mm-hmm. with Darcy's son, Sam Darcy, knowing that um, Collingwood and uh, the Bulldogs will take them. So it keeps them, those two clubs on us. So it'll be an interesting decision. But Horn sounds like an exciting prospect. Uh, speaking of Rodney Eade, a man that played uh, 259 uh, VFL games with Hawthorne Brisbane, of course, coached Sydney Western Bulldogs and the Gold Coast. A bizarre night last night, Rocket, here at Optus Stadium, uh, West Coast against Melbourne, with the players having to leave the arena in the early stage of that final term and then returning 29 minutes later. And all of a sudden, we thought, what's happening here? And with a bit more, another two or three minutes on the clock, the result could have been different with the West Coast Eagles storming home. Yes, very much so. And I think, hopefully, I've been banging on Melbourne Radio for quite a while about the way the West Coast play it. They play that conservative, round the boundary, try and keep the ball off the opposition. And they've got so much talent that when they take the game on, other teams are scared of them. They really uh, fear the Eagles playing the foot, football that they played last night. And they just got the ball going forward. They didn't play anything fancy. I know it was wet. Um, and why the Eagles don't play more with that? Um, not, it's not even attacking flair, but take the game on. They've got more talent than most teams, but they play the conservative way and it gets them into trouble and it gives the team, the opposition team, some lot of confidence. And uh, I think you're right. If it had gone for another five minutes, I think Melbourne did the opposite. They went in back into the shell, tried to save the game and... Uh, it's very difficult to do that in the modern footy. And uh, I think full credit to the Demons initially, but hopefully the Eagles, if they're going to beat the Dockers this week, they need to take the game on. Have you ever been in a situation like that as a player, as a coach, uh, when you've played and for whatever reason you've had to leave the arena and then reset uh, a few minutes later? <laughs> yeah, I remember playing, because I'm originally from Hobart, playing in Tassie. You were, um, it was a game... Um, I played school footy and then our school team didn't make the final. So when we played for Gamalki under 17, so I was only mm. 15 or something at the time at the end of the season. And we played against a team called New Norfolk, which is originally where Peter Hudson played his football before he captain coached Glenor- or Coach Glenorchy. Uh, yeah. And um, it's right out in the middle of Tassie. It's a pretty area, but it's cold. And uh, we weren't a very good side. And uh, fog came into the ground and we had to <laughs> leave. We couldn't see more than probably two or three feet in front of us. We had to leave the ground, I reckon, for 20 minutes until the fog lifted. <laughs> and at the end of the game, we had a player who played. He's got that steel, big steel wool hair. At the end of the game, he had a layer of frost across his <laughs> layer of ice on his hair at the top as well. So, uh, <laughs> so it was very, uh, very strange circumstances. But uh, in the end, the players went in. They tried to keep warm. We saw shots of them in the rooms trying to keep you know warm because the worst yep. thing you, that you fear as a coach and as a player when you uh, have been going 100 miles an hour, then you have to got to come off for half an hour, then go back on, and all of a sudden the muscle goes ping or you incur yep. an injury. Yep. Do you think Melbourne were more conscious of that than West Coast? And what do you think would have been the mindset of the respective camps during that uh, 
unscheduled delay in play. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, that, that shows you how much the game is played between the years, doesn't it? That um, I think, yeah, the mindsets were completely different. Uh, the Eagles, in their mind, were five, six goals down, whatever it was. We need to, we need to throw caution to the wind. Um, and I think the the demons, because percentage is not an issue for them, because I've had that draw. Uh, they didn't really care whether they won by one point or won by forty points. And uh, and I don't know if there was an instructions, but they went back into their shell to conservative, uh, save the game. Let's not try and get an injury. I've got no doubt it was the back of the mind. That wouldn't have been mentioned about the injuries. But you know, you wouldn't want Max Gorn to do a hamstring, as you say, have half an hour. Uh, break inside and then come back out in the cold and the wet to actually bring a hamstring. So there's no doubt the mindsets were completely different. Um, the Eagles were like, we've got nothing to lose, we've got to take it on. And Melbourne were, well, we've got everything to lose and let's let's be conservative. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's all set up for this week. Uh, the Eagles can't get any higher than seventh. They've got Fremantle here. The fixture's yet to be released for this weekend's footy, but we believe it'll be Sunday yep. afternoon, about 10 past three. And then they go up to Brisbane, where you know it very well, up at the Gabba to take on the Lions in the final home and away game. If they slip up this week, and it's going to be pretty hard up there in Brisbane the following week, there is a serious threat that the Eagles could slip out of the top eight. And Adam Simpson said that at the press conference last night, which would have been unthinkable at the start of the season when a couple of people in the media and experts were tipping them as possibly one of the sides that could be there at the end. Yeah, it is a bit unbelievable. And um, there's a couple of, I reckon, the, I know we've had upsets, so the, the last time in a way round, things could happen. But I reckon this weekend will, will cement the eight. I think the Eagles, it's in their hand. If they lose this week, I think they could miss, no doubt. I think Essendon can win both games. Um, Fremantle have a chance. will have to win this week. Um, but I think the Richmond Giants game will decide a spot if the Eagles do slip up. So I think both Richmond and the Giants will win their last uh, game of the season. Um, so whoever wins that, and then Essendon, if they can win both games, allows um, the eighth spot to be up for conjecture, and then the Eagles will throw it open again for seventh spot if, if they slip up this week. Yeah, and it's also been made more difficult for Freeman. I think in the end, what people experienced last night, the Eagles took on Melbourne, who are one of the clubs in the competition at the moment and could very well be there when the whips are cracking come the final weekend of the season. But the Eagles will start favourites against Fremantle this weekend. Also, the fact that Freeman have been dealt a major blow with Andrew Brayshaw, of course, out for one week if he takes that early plea today. Yeah, that's right. I think you know injuries and personnel is obviously going to play a, a role. But you know, Hearn got injured last night, and uh, Kennedy was off for a while, so I don't know what the extent of that is. So, and players do pull up sore, and uh, you know, in the slog and the wet. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether that evens itself out. But um, you know, Fremantle, except last week, and then there was another week. I think Geelong, where they were, were a bit disappointed. They've they've been okay this year. They've surprised teams, and they've played okay. They've got some good youth, so. They're playing for a final spot, so and obviously there's a, a bit of rivalry. So um, as Adelaide showed on the weekend, you would have thought Port would have won that very easy. So I think the hometown rivalry, no matter where they're on the ladder, uh, makes the makes those games very interesting. A couple of uh, other issues before we let you go, Rocket. It's always great having a chat to you. Uh, Toby Green goes up to the tribunal tonight, the GWS captain, the star. Uh, he got two weeks from uh, Michael Christian, the match re- 
review officer. Uh, many people are predicting that his case will get thrown out tonight. Do you think it will? I think it should, yes. Uh, I, uh, I feel sorry for Mike. I, I've always had a feeling that he's supposed to be independent, but I reckon he gets some pressure from Haverhill uh, House at times. Um, but you only have to look back, and I don't feel on the end of this one, but in the final, was it the grand final against Richmond? Well, he got broad mm, in the first minute right. of the game. A very similar yep. action. And then you have a look, I saw on Fox where they replayed uh, um, Sam Collins against Carlton. He's, he's done Silvani. He's done exactly the same motion uh, as, as what Toby Green's done. So I think it's a football motion. I don't think it was deliberate as in trying to hurt anyone or it was just trying to brush off. I think it'll get thrown out. I think Toby Greens gets a bit more focus and a bit more attention than he should from umpires and MROs, to be honest. Yeah, and the other one is, I know that Taylor Walker came out and extended an apology for the comments that he made uh, at the weekend. Um, it was an apology, a public apology, and also an apology to the player that was implicated. And he, now he's going to say, I'm stepping away from the club for a little while to uh, sort my affairs out and be educated and coached to come back to be a better person next season. But the big question is now, Rocket, whether actually he will return, even though Adelaide have said at this stage uh, they're just weighing up whether Taylor Walker will be part of their fabric in 2022. We won't go too much down the political line, but it'd be pretty hard for Taylor to come back after what's transpired in the last few days. Yeah, it's a big, uh, it's a big thing, isn't it? And uh, uh, yeah, I think his apology was heartfelt and sincere, but it, it wasn't a great look when it seems as if he was reading auto cue. Um, mm, mm. But I still, I still think that he was genuine. Though I still uh, think that, but he's probably wanted to get his words right. Um, I think, and as hard as it is, he probably maybe. Could have, should have faced the media as well and be heartfelt in that. Um, I know it's a difficult one. Uh, but you're right, it's going to be different for him to come back and see, see where Adelaide are at as a club. But I think Andrew Cracker made a good point today, and Andrew said himself he's made mistakes along the way himself. It's about education. It's not about now penalty. It's about um, people make mistakes and giving them another opportunity as long as there's education and working on the way. So I think that's the right way to go. We talk about reconciliation and uh, working with people, I don't think we should cast Taylor out to sea and um, throw away the key and, and, and no one ever talk to him again. I think you know, he's, he's, he, he is uh, uh, contrite about it. Um, I think he's sorry about it. Uh, whether six weeks is enough penalty, probably should have been more, but I think um, I think with education, I'd, I'd certainly like to see him play again next year. Yeah. Rocket, always a pleasure. Love having you uh, on the program, mate. Always great to have a chat. And we thank you very much for your time. And uh, stay safe. And uh, hopefully you're out of lockdown pretty soon. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, so do we. So appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> Good on you, Rocket. Break. Appreciate it. Rodney E joining us here on the Sporting Guys with Peter Vlahos in for Tim Gossage uh, this morning. Before we take the news headlines, here's Taylor Walker's apology. Uh, he did, as was pointing out a rocket need. He did have it off an auto cue. I just think he felt really nervous and he just didn't want to uh, slur his words or make mistakes uh, if he had to do it off the cuff. Uh, this is how it uh, came about. Here's Taylor Walker. Rob expressed his feelings to me to sit next to me today. I'm so thankful that you're here, mate, sitting next to me. Thank you for accepting my apology. 
You've shown huge courage and support for me. I want to apologise to you and your family, to the Adelaide official and his family, to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and their communities for the pain, hurt and disappointment I've caused. What I said was racism and it's totally unacceptable. I've lost trust and respect from everyone and I know that and I've got work to do. I'm going to take some time away from the football club to let people heal. I'm now going to educate myself, which is going to take some time because I want to be better for it and I want to influence people around me because there's no place for racism in, t- in society. And, of course, Robbie Young, the Indigenous former St Kilda and now South uh, Australian League footballer who was racially targeted by Walker in his comment, featured in that video. He had a non-speaking role in the video and at one stage uh, put a reassuring hand on Walker's shoulder. So I think from the image point of view, it went okay. Now, Tony Armstrong, before we take the news headlines, this morning uh, on ABC News said this about Taylor Walker's apology. It's always on uh, Indigenous people to always be taking the higher road, always having to extend the olive branch out and be the ones to, to help and to educate. And even there in the wording we heard, Taylor's going to be the one leaning on Robbie. It's um, really, really frustrating. And so many situations that I've been in uh, when I've walked into rooms and you, you just start gaslighting yourself because you're not sure what's, what's happened. You're not sure if other teammates haven't pulled up. If this is the one that was caught, you think about all the ones that happen when you're not there. Yeah, and I've got my opinion on it. I might share it with you a bit later on. I thought I, thought I mentioned it yesterday, but for those people that missed it, I might uh, go over it again. Now, that's ex-Crows and Swans player. Now, ABC broadcaster Tony Armstrong uh, said, and really, that the video doesn't make too much of a difference uh, in relation to what he's just outlined. We're going to take a break. Let's hear the latest from the newsroom and then come back with more in featuring uh, Richard Garcia, the coach of the Perth Glory Football Club. 0487 736 736 is the number to text in if you'd like to pass comment on anything that we've had on the program so far this morning. Back in a moment. Yes, great to have you company. Peter Vlahos in for the big fella. He hopefully will be back uh, behind the microphone in the Sporting Goss chair tomorrow morning. It's coming up 13 to 11, 13 degrees, the forecast top, if you can call it a top, for Bunbury and other regions of the southwest. Uh, for those people listening on SEN Spirit 621, great to have your company. And you can get involved with us. Paul of Margaret River has. Uh, good morning, Paul. Hope you're enjoying uh, the program down there in Margs. Uh, 0487-736-736. Now, uh, while we were sleeping overnight in the early hours of this morning, Australia registered a fifth consecutive T20 series defeating cricket. The Australian side, when you look at it, has never looked more vulnerable. They were bowled out for 62 on a deteriorating pitch at Dakar's National Stadium in Bangladesh overnight with only two batters scoring more than four runs against the Bangladeshis. Matthew Wade, who captained the side, was rolled in just 13.4 overs, making it Australia's shortest innings in 144 years of international cricket. Now, the record-breaking collapse has really ended a miserable white ball tour for Justin Langer's men, in which Australia lost eight of their 10 T20 matches against the West Indies and Bangladesh. And as I mentioned earlier, Bangladesh have never defeated Australia in the game's shortest format before last Tuesday, but have since achieved the feat four times in six days, and they won the series 4-1. Now, the next challenge for Australia is the coveted T20 World Cup. 
the only ICC trophy Australia has never lifted apart from the newly introduced World Test Championship. And I suppose needless to say, Australia's chances of the title look reasonably slim, particularly when glancing at who they'll come up against in the group stage. Uh, uh, So it's going to be very, very difficult. England are in that stage, South Africa, the West Indies, who are, as we know, uh, the uh, T20 world champions. So anyway, it's going to be difficult for Australia. Matthew Wade conducted a press conference a short time ago, and this is what he had to say about Australia's abysmal performance a few hours ago, rolled for 62, and the fact that they lost to Bangladesh 4-1 in the T20 series. What can you take out of a series like this? Um, well, there's not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of positives to take out of it. Obviously, um, to get beaten in the fashion we did, uh, especially tonight, was you know not good enough from Australian cricket team, regardless of the personnel that we've got here. Um, I mean, the biggest positive I think is probably the way that our bowlers bowled, and especially our spinners bowled on on these wickets in these conditions. It's something you know, over a long period of time that we've asked our spinners to be really good in these conditions. And I thought over the over the five games and in the West Indies, they were um, terrific in conditions that suited um, the spinner. So I think that was a real positive. Um, the exposure that some of our younger players got to these conditions is obviously a positive going forward and um, something that over their career, I'm sure they can look back on and um, say that they learnt a hell of a lot over, you know, especially this week in, in Bangladesh. Um, I've played... A lot of cricket at international level, and they're certainly the most challenging T20 international pitches that I've ever played on. So, um, yeah, that, I think they're the positives to take, um, although there's obviously not many. Uh, we're sending uh, Dan Christian out out to open. I guess was it the plan just hoping that he that you could just get someone like him to do what he did in the fourth T20, uh, T20, was that always the plan or did you sort of change your mind once um, once you knew what the total was? No, that was always a plan coming into the game. Um, yeah, we've had to find some runs somewhere because we've found it so challenging to score at the back end of the innings. Um, you know, their, their quicks were terrific at the back end of the innings and um, we found it really hard to go at even five, six, seven and over at the back end. So we're, look, we're looking for some runs with two fielders out um some quick runs that is and um yeah we think dan we thought dan was the best man to do that after what he did last game so we got him up there and in early to cash in in the power play it just didn't quite work out for us but that was certainly something that we had um ready to go before we saw the total and just finally for me is this a bit of a a wake-up call i guess with the with the world cup so soon about you know where australia is at the moment even with the, the players missing who aren't there? Oh, I don't think it's a wake-up call. I think the reality is we know that we need to get better at spin and, you know, that's, you know, myself included. There's a lot of players in this team that we need to find a way to score runs in these conditions. Um, we're not asking for big margins. Um, we need to find 15 or 20 runs in innings with the bat more and if we can bring them down another five or ten with the ball as well, then we'll get ourselves in most of the games in these conditions. But um, I think going forward, you know, I would... I wouldn't expect the wickets to play like they have here. Uh, although we're going to get um, conditions that may take a little bit of spin in the World Cup and, um, yeah, it's something that we're going to have to look at. We need to get better in that area and, um, yeah, myself included, I need to find a way to be able to do that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that the pitches will play like they probably have here. Matt, given that um, you've got the T20 World Cup coming up and these matches in the West Indies and 
in Bangladesh were supposed to be essentially warm-up matches. Do you think that they were really of any use, given the conditions, particularly in Bangladesh, to what you're going to face in the UAE? Uh, I think that the West Indies um, conditions, for sure, Mal, were, were very, very similar to maybe what we will we will find in, in the World Cup. Um, although the St. Lucia pitch was sometimes a little bit slow, it was it was still a good wicket. Um, and as I said, we need to find a way to... To get to, to get better against spin in those conditions as well. So I think the well that certainly the conditions in the West Indies were really good um, pitches to to judge ourselves going forward. As I said, these ones were a little bit challenging. Although Bangladesh still found a way to find the extra runs, and that's something that we're you know we we feel like we can definitely get better at doing that. Um, unfortunately, we didn't this tour. As I said, it's a good learning opportunity for us. That's all we can really take out of it. If the batters can go back and learn from this experience and find a way to, to get those extra runs in challenging conditions, then um, that'll hold us in good stead going forward in Australian cricket. But, um, yeah, it was certainly a challenge. It's been hard work. Matt, um, when you when you look at the balance of the attack tonight um, and think about three spinners, hasn't really been done too often in, um, uh, you know, any Australian team, really. When you actually have Stark and, and Cummins and everyone back for the World Cup, is it, is it a real option, mate, or is, was it a bit of a novelty for the conditions tonight? I wouldn't say it's a novelty. If, if the conditions find, if we find the conditions are like this going forward, then it's a real opportunity to be able to play three spinners. Um, what that looks like, whether that's two finger spinners, whether that's um, two wrist spinners, I'm not 100% sure, but I wouldn't say it was a novelty. They, I mean, these conditions were conducive for, for us to go in with that attack. Um, we played just the one seamer, but we knew that, you know, what Nathan brings with his slower balls would do really well on these wickets. And also, you know, Dan Christian, um, we felt like we could get some overs out of him. So that gave us the option to play three leg spinners. Um, you know, Swep only bowled two overs, so you don't have to use all of the spin as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, if we got conditions like this going forward, then, yeah, I think there would be an option to play three spinners for sure. And just on the batting, mate, um, I mean, when you look at the the younger batters, the, the less experienced ones um, who have obviously struggled in, in this series, is enough being done to kind of prepare them for conditions like this? I know these were extreme conditions, but is there a bit of a missing link in terms of Australia A cricket or, or whether it's something else to, to get these guys up to speed? No, I don't think so, Lou. I think you've just got to go out there and experience these conditions. I don't. I do not blame the younger players one one bit. Um, myself, um, Moe Zonriques, Dan Christian, we're all experienced players and we needed to do better in this series. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not hiding behind that. I needed to be better as well. Um, so those guys got the opportunity to come out here and experience these conditions. And as I said, if they take it as a learning opportunity, um, like we all should be, then to become better players, then, you know, at least we've learned something on this trip. But, um, yeah, I, I don't blame the young guys one bit. I mean, what they've seen out here will be very, very valuable for them going forward. But um, that's more on the senior batting group we need is to get more runs in these in these conditions. Matthew Wade there, the Australian T20 captain after they lost the series to Bangladesh. 4-1, rolled last night for 62, would you believe? We'll take a break. Uh, news is coming up. And then after the uh, 11 o'clock hour, you'll hear from Richard Garcia, the Perth Glory coach. We'll speak to South Fremantle coach Todd Curley and uh, star-spangled banter with Tyson Beattie. Don't go away. This is a sporting goss. Welcome back here on SEN, wherever you may be listening, of course, on SEN Track 657 in Perth. Uh, SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury in the southwest. SEN Peel or, of course, on the SENWA app. A lot of people are doing that. 
that. Well, the Glory preseason is underway, and a lot of people are excited, of course, uh, with what the Glory may roll out this coming season. It's a short preseason because uh, the new campaign starts uh, at the end of October. Joining us for the first time is Richard Garcia, the coach of the Perth Glory. Richard, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. A couple of weeks pre-season training under your belt. I know the conditions actually haven't been that fantastic with the wind and the rain, but how has the squad come together in the early days of pre-season? Yeah, it's been very good. Uh, the guys have uh, come back with a great attitude and uh, a great hunger to, to play. Um, so the first three, four weeks has been very, very um, good and very encouraging. I suppose we've also been fortunate here, unlike what's been happening in Sydney and to a lesser degree in Melbourne, the fact that we've been COVID-free touch wood so you can go around your, with your process without any interruptions. Yeah, look, that's been fantastic considering, you know, what we went through last season with pre-season having to travel away and, and go through quarantining and things like that. So it's been a, a nice settled first month and, um, you know, I think the guys have really appreciated that as well. How much time off did the players have uh, between the end of the season and the start of pre-season? Uh, it was roughly around uh, five weeks. So, um, you know, they, they got away um, as much as they could and, uh, you know, came back refreshed and, and ready to go. Richard, just generally, the Olympics have just finished. What were your thoughts on the Oli Roos performance? Uh, I thought they performed pretty well. Um, you know, it's always tough going away. Um, and playing in a competition when you're playing many games in a, in a short period of time. Uh, but they they coped very well and, uh, you know, we're a bit unfortunate not to, to get over the line in the end. Have you got any news? Because you've got one game that needs to be played, that FFA Cup match uh, against Melbourne Victory for the right to get into the FFA Cup proper for this season. Has that game been set down for any particular time? Uh, at the moment, they're sort of still looking at the back end of August, possibly the start of September. Um, but then that's all dependent on, on the borders and, and what happens um, within the States. You've been bolstered by new recruits. The latest one is Brad Jones, who comes as an addition to add depth to the goalkeeping stakes. We know where Brad has been and what he's done. No doubt great to have a former West Aussie back home and joining up with the Perth Glory. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Brad's going to come in and give that experience that we want and that um, that character that we need in the, in the squad. You know, he comes with a wealth of experience and and has a fantastic personality which will add to the group. Um, you know, and again, he's a, he's a WA boy and, and, and knows what it means to play for Perth Glory. Yes, originally from Armadale, where a couple of great products have come uh, and represented uh, Australia on the national scale and done well overseas. When you look at the goalkeeping stocks now, you've got Liam Reddy and, of course, Tendo Valafi and Brad Jones. It's pretty competitive, isn't it? And I suppose that's what you're trying to do, make sure that competition for spots is, is pretty significant and people are going to fight for their spots. Yeah, look, we won that throughout the squad. Um, you know, considering uh, we've got two guys who have had good careers and uh, are still sort of um, at the back end of their career, but more than capable, um, it's it's fantastic to, to see that they will play out this year and, and see who's going to have that number one shirt, which is great. So where are you with the squad and how many places are still to be filled? Look, we've still got a few places to fill um, and we're still uh, on the hunt for a few players 
Um, but again, it takes time. Again, we want to bring in the right characters and the right people um, for the right positions. Um, so look, we've still got a while in pre-season and it's about now trying to find those, those guys and, and get them in. Where are you looking, Richard? Are you looking locally? Are you looking nationally? Are you looking overseas? Or is it a combination of all three? It is a combination of, of all three. Um, you know, you've got to keep your options open, and, uh, especially with, you know, the salary cap league. You, you're, you're trying to compete for, for the same type of players. So um, we are looking uh, all over the place to be able to find the right people. I spoke to Aaron Calver when he was signed some weeks ago, uh, the defender. But, of course, a couple of locals have returned in, Brandon O'Neill and Jack Clisby. Firstly, are they training? And if so, they're probably happy to be back. Yeah, those guys are training and they're, they're all happy to be back. Um, you know, again, they, they they love being home and they love uh, wearing the Perth Glory badge and, and you know, it's, it's great to see um, those guys come back and, and influence the other guys and the younger guys and uh, and they know what it means to play for Perth Glory as well. When you look at uh, the Perth Glory, certainly uh, interesting season last year, started very well, hit a bit of a, a tough period and, of course, finished the season quite well as well. When you look at the squad and you're trying to assemble, are you trying to get players that fit in to the Richard Garcia mould of playing attractive football? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a, a big element of that. Um, but then there's a big element of, of the type of characters we want at the club. Uh, we want to we create a place where people want to excel and, and they want to push each other. Um, and, you know, having the right characters in the right positions um, makes that achievable and that's something we're, we're striving towards. Where's Andy Keogh at at the moment? Uh, had a, a good season last year. He's getting on in years as well. Is he training or is there some of the senior players you're giving sort of uh, reduced uh, pre-season campaigns because of their age and the fact that they've been around the block a few times? No, they're, they're back in training as well, the older guys. Um, they they're actually the guys that want to train more. So, you know, that, that for us is, is very um, satisfying to know that our senior players are, are pushing everyone um, underneath them. And, and that's, it's a, it's a joy to watch them come into to pre-season with that, that sense of um, excitement for the season ahead. Is there any players that aren't training at this point in time that are on your list? Uh, look, we've got Darrell Lackman that's gone away with uh, the national team and, you know, has gone home to spend a bit of time with the family back in um, Amsterdam. Uh, so, you know, he'll, he'll be coming in in the, in the coming weeks. And Diego, naturally, I've got to ask you that question. It's like asking uh, the Eagles coach about Nick Nat Nui. That you always get thrown a question about Nick Nat. Yeah. And I suppose you always get thrown a question about uh, Diego. I know he's in Queensland on holidays with his family. Uh, I know that uh, you let him be and enjoy his uh, holidays. Where is he at at the moment, Richard? He's back in WA now, so now we can sort of uh, push forward and um, continue with the talks with, with Diego and, um, you know, hopefully it'll be resolved in the, in the coming weeks and um, we can get him back out into the training park. Uh, you're keen to have him involved? Of course, you know. Um, Diego's a fantastic player and a fantastic um, guy to have around the, the training ground and, and the club. Um, he's been a great servant to the club as well. Uh, his quality is is undoubtedly um, one of the best players in the league. So, again, we, we would love to have him on board and, and we're looking forward to having him back.
Just general football question before we let you go. Uh, I certainly was delighted to see what Ange Postacoglu did with Celtic at the weekend, beating Dundee by six goals to nil. No doubt you'd be following Ange's progress with one of the big clubs in the uh, in Britain very closely as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think Ange has come in and um, he's going to be scrutinised very heavily. Uh, but the, the change that he wants to make takes time. Um, it's a fantastic result, but I'm sure they're going to be um, continuing to grow and continuing to change and, and, and eventually play the way that Ange wants to play. Um, but that, that'll take him a little while. You know, I think everywhere he's gone, it's sort of taken him a year or two to, to get into his stride, and then eventually he gets the fantastic results that he produces. You're a fantastic footballer, and you're very experienced playing abroad. Uh, when you see Ange with Celtic, does it harbour aspirations for Richard Garcia to maybe one day get to that sort of level? Uh, look, I, I would love to think that. Um, but at the moment, I'm just focusing on... Um, creating a, a fantastic environment here and, and, and a successful group here. And before we let you go, what did Richard Garcia learn as coach and head coach of Perth Glory last season that he'll take into this season? Uh, a lot, a lot to be honest. Um, a, lo- a lot about myself and a lot about the group um, in its entirety. So, you know, little things that I can, I can get better at as a coach and um, areas that I can improve the group. And, and that, that, that's probably the biggest thing is that I learned a lot about myself. And, uh, you know, that, that's something that I, I take uh, to heart and will continue to grow as a coach. You said all the boys came back with smiles on their faces and they were ready to go. Uh, you got a bit of a smile on your face. You enjoy at least that the pre-season's underway and the season proper's not far away? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's nice to think that... Um, Competitive football is not far away, and it's been nice to actually um, have some time and, and actually have a relaxed sort of pre-season rather than you know trying to get a team uh, up and running and, and ready to go in two or three weeks to go to, to, to the Asian Cup. So, you know, a bit of a different experience for me, and it's been a very enjoyable one. Good on you, Richard. We always love having a chat to you, of course, uh, here at SEN. We're the carriers of uh, A-League football, and we look forward to broadcasting the games again this season. Uh, we'll keep in touch, and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Richard Garcia, the coach of the Perth Glory, joining us here on uh, Sporting Goss with Peter Vlaas in for Tim Gossage. Uh, you can always get involved with us, 0487 736 736. Mike from Palmyra has texted us. Hi, Mike. Uh, he says, great show, mate. Regarding Andrew Brayshaw, is there any chance Freo may appeal the one-week suspension? Mike, I don't think so. I, I think there'll be uh, – I think it's pretty obvious that you just can't put your hand – in the facial region of any player in that situation. I think they're just going to take it, and Andrew will take it on the chin and move on. Just unfortunate that the game this Sunday is the derby. But uh, from what we gather and speaking to people uh, indirectly involved with Fremantle last night, I don't think they'll appeal. But funnier things have happened. We'll have to wait and see. Speaking of Fremantle, Mike, uh, Stephen Hill, one of the Dockers' favourite sons, has just called time literally a few minutes ago on his 218-game career, he's announced his retirement to players and staff at the club a short time ago. And let's have a listen to Stephen Hill making the announcement that uh, his days at the Fremantle Footy Club have come to an end. The other really important announcement that we have is um, that one of the club's uh, favourite sons um, and our most respected and admired players um, would also like to to make an announcement which will be acknowledged this weekend. So, over to you, Hilly. Oh, 
to get through this. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks everyone for coming down. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm yeah, officially retiring and... Um, shit, um, yeah, I, firstly, I'd just like to thank the football club um, for giving me the opportunity um, back in 2008 to draft me and... Um, yeah, to be able to live out my childhood dream of playing AFL and um, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. I've met some incredible, incredible people along the way and um, yeah, it's definitely hard to say goodbye but um, I know it's the right time. Obviously, the last couple of years with me, my body hasn't held up and it's been yeah, difficult physically and also mentally it's been a challenge and um, but yeah, I'm just so grateful to be able to we have um, yeah played for 13 years and uh, played 200 plus games, so super proud and I'm um, just extremely grateful. And um, yeah, I need to thank yeah, the medical team um, for the last couple of years. You know they've you know spent a lot of work on me and um, trying to get myself back to to playing. And um, yeah, I appreciate the effort that they put into me. Um, yeah, unfortunately I couldn't get up. Um, and play, but yeah, the work that they've done has been incredible. Along with the the conditioning guys, um, yeah, they've been amazing as well. Trying to get me back with the program, um, yeah, they've probably put up with me with some frustrations, but um, yeah, they've been great in um, sitting out a plan and working, sitting down with me to try to get myself back, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah, to the coaching staff, JL. Um, yeah, obviously haven't played too many games under you. It would have been nice. Wish could have gone on for another couple of years because, um, yeah, I think you guys are doing some special things here. Um, yeah, it's been been great to just be a part of it for for the couple of years under you. And yeah, it would have been great to to go go a few more years with you because um, I think there's a great group here that can do some some great things and hopefully see some success soon. Um, yeah, I guess Belly, uh, Joey, Mark, Rog have been a great support and um, for me this year. And yeah, can't thank you guys enough. Um, sorry if I've missed some people. I'll try and get around and um, thank people individually and get around to you all. But yeah, just appreciate everyone coming down here and um, yeah, thanks very much. So cheers, everyone. So there you go, one of Fremantle's favourite sons, Stephen Hill, just a short time ago has called time in his 218 game career, announcing his retirement as you heard to players and staff uh, just a short time ago. He did confess that the last couple of seasons uh, he's been plagued by injury. Got a bit emotional, but well done, Hilly. You, you kept it together very, very well. Grateful for his 13 years at the Dockers in the AFL. And really, when you look at him, um, he has been such a great servant. Love to get your thoughts on Stephen Hill on the Sporting Goss text line. 0487 736 736. Maybe in just one word, just identify if you're a real Purple fan, real Dockers fan, how you viewed Stephen Hill. I'll tell you when I remember Stephen Hill, he was probably at the forefront of arguably probably Frio's greatest win. Remember that sprint down the wing at Cardinia Park? Almost Peter Matera 
when he was in the grand final, Norm Smith uh, medal form for Peter Matera, on the run, and he put Geelong away to seal that home preliminary final in 2013. That was eight years ago. He had a great turn of speed, did Stephen Hill. A very likeable character, a great uh, young fella who, of course, stemmed from West Perth and got drafted to Fremantle and played some enormous games. In the end, he's a 200-plus game player, even though the last couple of years he struggled through injury to get on the park. Give us your thoughts on Stephen Hill. Come on, Dockers fans, or even football fans in general. Maybe people that are involved with the West Perth Footy Club that would have seen him come through the ranks as a young fella. 0487 736 736. Maybe even in one word, how do you describe Stephen Hill and his contribution to Fremantle and before that to West Perth? Uh, happy retirement to one of the game's uh, nice fellas in Hilly. It's 20 past 11, the Sporting Goss with Peter Vlahos on this uh, Tuesday morning, back with more in a moment. Welcome back to Sporting Goss with Peter Vlahos on this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, yesterday, we spoke to Bo Wardman, the coach of the Subiaco Footy Club, about their great come-from-behind victory over Claremont. And, of course, here at uh, SEM, we love broadcasting the WAFL and keeping our listeners right across it. And let's focus on the Frio Derby that transpired on the weekend. South Fremantle made it 12 consecutive Derby wins over their crosstown rivals, uh, East Fremantle. They won by 61 points on Saturday afternoon at Fremantle Oval. Uh, a big win, a big result, and Todd Curley, the coach of the Bulldogs, joins us. Hi, Todd. Hey, Peter. How are you going? It's almost like the West Coast Eagles' dominance over Fremantle in the AFL, uh, South Fremantle's dominance over East Fremantle in the Derbies. Yeah, look, we've had a pretty good record the last few years. There's no doubt about that. So, um, we, we were pretty pleased. I thought we played a, you know, a pretty good brand of footy and and played, um, you know, the way we want to play, I guess, for, for most of the four quarters. So, we, yeah, we're pretty happy. With that win and uh, Claremont going down to Subiaco, as I mentioned, uh, it's given you a bit of a, uh, a bit of air now in second spot. What a game and a bit of percentage clear. Uh, well, it has for this week, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's obviously pretty tight between definitely the top four um, teams at the moment. Um you know, Serbia probably a, a game and a fair bit of percentage ahead. So, you know, with three games to go, it's um, yeah, it could finish. You know, in all number of um, you know different uh, different orders. So, at the moment, we're second, and at least um, you know it's all in our hands. So, if we do our own business and get that in hand, then you know the ladder will take care of itself. So that's our plan at this stage. You must be still uh, heartened by the fact that there's still some decent players that didn't play on the weekend that are due to return, led by your captain Dylan Main. So uh, you're only going to get stronger from a personnel point of view heading into the finals. Yeah, we hope so. Look, um, last year we were pretty lucky injury-wise. This year we haven't had a, a huge amount of injuries, but I guess it's mostly been to our experienced um, our experienced players. So, that, you know, they've all missed a bit. But the bonus of that, I guess, is, um, you know, most weeks we've had seven or six or seven, eight uh, I think against Subi, we probably had 10 guys with, with sort of nine games or less, first-year players. So they've been able to get some uh, exposure to senior level and, you know, some of them have delivered some fantastic, consistent footy. So, um, you know, we think that going forward, that will give us, um, you know, some great depth and, and hopefully some, you know, some tough selection calls towards the back end of the year. And you look at players certainly to step up uh, at the end of this home and away season and get ready for the finals campaign. And that can be said for Brandon Donaldson, really. Uh, dominant four quarters, kicked five goals in the derby, 
probably his best game of the season. Yeah, it has. Look, he's um, he's been a great player for us in the last sort of three or four years. Um, you know, I guess probably this year he's actually got a bit more support around him with, you know, obviously Cody Ninette playing um, the whole year. Uh, Manny Kelly's been, um, you know, playing some great footy for us as a small forward as well and Benny Rioli when he was fit. So, um, you know, we think uh, with Jesse Motlop's obviously got a, a couple of weeks at Aquinas that he's unavailable, but he's another one that comes in. And I think, you know, Dono's been able to get up the ground a bit and, and not just play as that small forward. It's a, she's a pretty tough role down there. Um, you know, you chase and you tackle and you've always got someone, you know, sitting in your back pocket and he's been able to, you know, get up the ground and play a bit more on a wing and have a bit more freedom. And I think he's enjoyed that. Yeah, interesting when you look at South Fremantle, and it's got some, you've got some great midfielders, some name midfielders, but there's a couple that certainly, just looking at uh, the details of the weekend, that certainly stood up. Tom Bletcherton and George Wessels um, got plenty of the footy and helped uh, the Bulldogs in their big win over the Sharks at the weekend. Yeah, they did. And look, Tom obviously broke into the side last year and, and played in the Premiership, and he's played every game this year and, and really grown. So. Um, he's just sort of gone from that outside wingman um, to playing as an inside mid. Um, you know, great kid and, and going really well. And, you know, George Wessels, first-year player, back into the side on the weekend and, and really stepped up. So, you know, that gives us a bit more depth. Obviously, you know, everyone knows about Shaloyt and, and Subin and, and Dragovic um, and these sort of guys that have been there for a while. But, you know, hopefully, you know, Tom and George and, you know, we've got a few other young mids that, have, that are coming through as well and hopefully they can, they can add to that depth and make us a little unpredictable. As we know, the season's going to be exp- extended a couple of weeks because of that lockdown we had, which uh, wiped out a whole round of WAFL action and now the grand final will be played a week after the AFL grand final. Are you comfortable with that? We don't have any choice, really, Pete. The way the, uh, the, way the world is today, um, you know, you just got to be flexible and uh, I think, look, to be honest, I think last year and this year, well, last year certainly prepared us a lot better for it. But I think, um, you know, everyone's probably, um, you know, grown to be flexible and not so be so much in a, you know, a movable routine. And it, it doesn't seem to disrupt the players or coaches as much. You know, we just sort of continue on and do what we're told. So, yeah, it goes two weeks longer. It's not ideal. But, um, you know, we're pretty lucky in WA at the moment to be able to play you know, majority of our season, you know, I'd say there'd be a lot of other uh, competitions on the on the East Coast that would love to have the opportunity to play like we are. Yeah, interesting call. How much do you now have to manage players at this stage of the year? It's going to be a long season and you've got to manage players, you'd think, because a lot of players do have the little niggles that they play with. How do you handle that situation to make sure that you keep the players going until uh, the finish line? Oh, look, it's, it's always a balancing act. I think, you know, by extending the season, obviously, um, you know, this weekend's round is sort of split over two weeks, so everyone gets a bye, so that certainly will help. We got the bye this week, so, you know, we'll train and um, train Wednesday, and then, you know, the players will have their own session to do over the weekend and, and get a chance to get away from the footy club for, you know, four or five days, and then um, they'll come back in Monday and prepare for next week, so... Um, you know, all clubs will get a bye towards the back half of the year. So, um, you know, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, because your next game when you come back after the bye is against West Perth. Uh, and to me, they've surprised me a bit. They've been very good uh, uh, during the course of the year. 
Not a lot of name players in the West Perth lineup. Uh, okay, you've got the Shane Nelsons and the Aaron Blacks and those sort of players, but they've been part and parcel of West Perth for years. They continue delivering West Perth, and this will be another good challenge for you. Yeah, it is. I think they're just a fantastic team um, and have been really for the last two years. So, um, you know, they, they just continue to get the job done and, and play for each other, and they're always a huge challenge. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for us up at Arena Joondalup, but, you know, it's one that obviously we, we need to take on and, um, you know, we need to win the game if, if we're going to uh, push for the back half of the year and, and be serious about our, our chances of, you know, winning competition, you've got to beat everyone. So um, it'd be a great challenge for us, though, because, uh, as you say, they're, they're ultra consistent and they always, deli- you know, always come well prepared and deliver um, very well coached and um, it'll, be, it'll, be, uh, it'll be exciting. It should be a good game. I know you've worked in the AFL system. Just changing tack before I let you go, Todd. Last night we had the Eagles and Melbourne and the players had to leave around about, you know, five, ten-minute mark in the final term. We're off for half an hour. Then they came back and uh, the Eagles sort of did very well in the 15 minutes that remained and almost uh, caught up to Melbourne. How do you handle – firstly, have you ever seen that before? And secondly, how would the coaches have handled their players knowing that – it's early in the final term. They've been going for a while and then they've got to come off for about half an hour and then restart. How would you have handled it? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, on has it happened before? I mean, my memory's not great. I, I seem to remember <laughs> it happened in a final, maybe Sydney and Frio, possibly. Mm-hmm. Going back maybe 10 years, I think they, they had some lightning over there during that game. But, you know, I think the Melbourne coaches wouldn't have enjoyed it too much. Um, you know, once they come off the ground, they... They sort of were five and a half goals in front and not a lot um, to gain, I guess, from going back out other than winning the game. And I think, um, you know, the West coaches, West sort of the West Coast coaches would have loved the opportunity to, to get their players together and, you know, plan for that 15 minutes of, um, of frantic how they were going to score to win. Um, yeah, because you know, being two down on the bench at the time, well, that had a couple of blokes injured, so I think it would have helped them to have that break. Yeah, because Melbourne would have gone in uh, with that uh, break thinking, well, we've got this game under control, and they're probably more thinking about their next assignment. While the Eagles really had nothing to lose coming back for the final 15 minutes, did they really? Well, they they were all guns blazing to win um, and put all their effort into it, I think. You know, for the Melbourne guys, they were probably hoping that they didn't lose any guys injured and they got through and yeah. and the result took care of itself. So, yeah, it was a different one. But, you know, I think with the, the challenges over the last couple of years that have been thrown up, you know, it was just another one. And uh, I think the, the footy clubs, the players, the coaches have become, you know, very good at adapting it, <laughs> changed to, at the last minute. So yeah. um, I think they would have been much better placed to deal with it than they probably would have been two years ago. Yeah, it could be a big footy festival come the end of the season. Imagine if the AFL Grand Finals here at Optus and the following week the WAFL Grand Finals here at Optus. be a real festival of footy here in Perth, Western Australia and who knows, it, it may eventuate that way. Uh, Todd, thanks for your time. Uh, congratulations on certainly uh, what South Fremantle, under your tutelage have done this season and uh, enjoy the weekend off and good luck for the remaining games of the season. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for your support of the comp, and uh, yeah, any time. Good on you. Todd Curley joining us, the coach of South Fremantle here on Sporting Goss with Peter Vlahos. We'll take a break, come back with more after this. Great to have your company here on the Sporting Goss, Peter Vlahos with you. In for Tim Gossage, you'll be uh, probably back tomorrow morning from 10, wherever you may be listening, through Spirit uh, uh, 621, through Bunbury in the southwest or on SENWA. Just having a look at the weather, uh, some heavy showers certainly south of Perth at the moment. 
And some rain uh, coming through Bunbury, Bustleton, Donnybrook and Margaret River. And speaking of Margaret River, uh, we've had a couple of texts uh, from down that way. Just before we spoke to Todd Curley, I did mention, if you haven't heard the news, that Stephen Hill has announced his retirement uh, to his teammates and the staff this morning at the Fremantle Football Club. Uh, Of course, Stephen Hill, who played over about 218 games of football for Fremantle, uh, started back about 2008, 13 years. But the last two years, of course, injury have very much uh, stopped him from getting out on the track. It actually is a bit of a day of retirement. Mark Murphy has informed the Carlton playing group that his 300th game this weekend will be his last. Many were wondering whether he'd actually get there because his form had been indifferent. But Mark Murphy will play this week his 300th game now that Carlton are out of the finals reckoning. And uh, that'll be his last. And Port Adelaide's Tom Rockliffe has announced his retirement after a brutal run of injuries this year. A super career for a player taken with the 84th live pick at the end of the 2008 season. So there you go. A day of retirements. It's coming up 21 to midday. Uh, Our regular segment on Tuesday is Star Spangled Banter. And he's just joined us, uh, Tyson Beattie. We're going to chalk everything American sport after the break here on the Sporting Goss. Oh, yes, time for our Star Spangled Banter segment. I used to work with this guy many years ago. We worked at Channel 9 together. Uh, It was a pretty hard worker. Not? Nah, he was okay. Uh, Tyson Beattie uh, joins us here. Uh, As we know, a college footballer many years ago, an outstanding one, almost a bit of a pioneer. Uh, Of course, played for Indiana University. He's our American sports expert and he joins us here in the uh, SEN studios at Optus Stadium. Tyson, good to see you again, mate. Peter, I'm looking forward to this because I know you're going to know more about American sport than Goss is, so this is very exciting. Well, <laughs> yes, it's, it's a generational thing. I reckon if my son was here and my son is 30, I tell you what, he would know everything. Like, I know that Ricky Rubio, who used to play for the Minnesota Timberwolves and ended up at the Utah Jazz, was his favourite player. And he was absolutely (laughs) uh, flabbergasted how the Minnesota Timberwolves let Rubio go. And, of course, we saw Rubio play for Spain in the Olympic Games just recently. He was a a star performer. He was very good. And uh, the FIBA have just announced their Olympic All-Star Five. So these are the best five players from the Mm -hmm. Olympics that we've just watched. Ricky Rubio, uh, Luka Doncic, who was in there. Yeah, Slovenia. Yeah, yeah, Slovenia. Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert. Uh, from France, so and then the last one, Paddy Mills. Mills. So five different countries representing those top five. Pretty good list, and Paddy Mills would be chuffed to be in that top five, I think. What do you think about uh, Team USA? They started slowly, and I reckon the Boomers almost played them into form. The Boomers led at one stage by 15 points. I think it may have been 41 to 26. And then they yeah. kicked into gear and they scored, what, 28 out of the next 32 and that was it. Sometimes that happens for the American team at tournaments. They're not naturally an egalitarian type of team, unlike the Boomers who are sort of a natural team-oriented based players. Mm. The US takes a long time to warm up in tournaments, but by the time they get going, their talent shines through. So they deserve to win the gold medal, but the bronze wasn't it fantastic for us. But what does that mean for Australian basketball now? First ever medal, bronze medal, Paddy Mills, 
the captain played his heart out and he led by example, which was great to see. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, basketball's booming in Australia. It's been booming for a while in terms of participation numbers, and that's important. But I think the bigger story is around the number of players that we've got going into the NBA and how that's kind of generating excitement. There's a broadcast deal mm. with, uh, with, with basketball for next year for the NBL, which is very significant compared to, you know, they haven't really had something like this for a long time. So I think it's on the edge of, a, of another big golden era. Ben Simmons, where's he at, do you think? And do you think he would have looked back and thought, maybe I didn't make the right call here? Uh, it's hard to it's say. Hard to say. But where's he at at the moment regarding well, next I, season? I, I don't like. He wanted to work on his skills, and he wasn't. He didn't want to play in the Olympics because he thought he needed to to develop his game. The Boomers felt like they didn't miss anything from him anyway, so mm. it wasn't that big of a deal. Who picks him up? Who knows? It's it's still there's still a lot of in, up in the air with Ben Simmons. He's a bit of a divisive character in the states at the moment, by the sounds of things. Yeah, and maybe it was in the best interest of the Boomers that he wasn't part of the uh, the makeup anyway after the end of his career there at Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Because they said he'll never play for Philadelphia again. No, no, Philly's the toughest sports town in America. Is it? Oh, it's it's, it's shocking. So they, they will boo their own team. They're well-known. They're infamous for that sort of thing. Mm. So it's probably best that he does get out of Philly and re- resurrect his career somewhere else. Hey, we mentioned that Luka Doncic in that top five. He just signed a $207 million five-year extension at the Dallas Mavericks. That's pretty good coin, isn't it, Pete? Unbelievable. I'm just flabbergasted with some of the coin that these players get paid. And, you know, Paddy Mills is on a very good contract now. He's going to Brooklyn. Yeah. So he would have got a pretty good deal. Do you got any details on that? Yeah, $16 million over two years at the Brooklyn Nets. You've got to remember, though, Paddy's taken a long time to get where he is. He, he was from a small college called St. Mary's up in yeah. San Francisco. He came back to play in the NBL when there was a when there was a lockout in the NBA, and then he returned and, and spent 10 seasons with the Spurs and won championships. Uh, Jimmy Williams, who's my producer on my drive program, loves American sport and loves uh, the NBA. And he was saying he was in America some years ago. And Brooklyn, not many people followed Brooklyn in the NBA, and they never used to get the crowds at their home court or home stadium. And so he went and got a Big Mac from the local McDonald's, <laughs> and they were handing out general admission tickets to go and see Brooklyn play and now all of a sudden Brooklyn are one of the star attractions with the players they've recruited. Brooklyn, have you have you spent much time in New York City? Yeah, Brooklyn? I've been in New York twice and I've been to Brooklyn, yeah. the Brooklyn Bridge. It's yeah. a grungy kind of place, very well, it's, got a, it's got a huge population. It's the biggest yep. borough in New York, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Great pizza spot right under the bridge, under the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, world famous pizza spot. We're getting on to, off tra- track. That's okay, here. that's okay. Because <laughs> I intend to go back when things uh, get returned to normal. Yeah, they're, they're the, probably the favourites heading Is that Grimaldi's? Yeah. <laughs> Chris has just knocked it up. Oh, someone's it, knocked it, it up. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's world famous. It's been right. on a lot of TV shows and that sort of thing. But um, Brooklyn Nets probably the favourite going into next season for the NBA yeah. title at this stage. Unbelievable. Tell us about Josh Giddy, uh, currently taking part in the NBA Summer League. Yeah, so sixth overall pick from the Adelaide 36ers. That's probably – you talk about the, the growth of basketball, Pete – to say, and I've been, we've been watching this Luke Longley Australian story series, yeah. which was quite fascinating. Now, Josh Giddy, sixth overall, played in the NBL last year. 20, 30 years ago, you'd never have dreamed of a guy coming from the NBL and getting straight into the NBA, being mm. drafted out of the NBL. Unheard of. Anyway, he plays first game in the Summer League for Oklahoma City Thunder against the Detroit Pistons. He started with a bang, dunked a ball within the first 30 seconds. Everyone was very, very excited, then twisted his ankle. So he's probably going to be out for a couple of games, but it's still in the preseason at the moment. Okay, let's turn our attention to the NFL. The training camps have begun. 
and the star quarterback Lamar Jackson has copped COVID for a second time, yeah, yeah. So Tyson. The Baltimore Ravens, uh, previous MVP, one of the most exciting players in the NFL, Lamar Jackson, has gotten COVID twice now. Mm. So he's still not vaccinated. 90% of players have been vaccinated. So mm. the NFL are pretty pretty happy with Because the things... NFL was hit quite considerably uh, last season, wasn't it, with, with the COVID situation? It, it was. It was. So the NFL has taken a hard-line stance on va- vaccinations. They're saying, not on the players, but on the clubs. Mm. So they are going to hit the clubs if 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 players end up getting COVID and the games have to be postponed, they're going to come down harder on the clubs and that's going to affect the clubs recruiting players that don't want to get vaccinated by the sounds of things. Mm. And when does the season get underway in the NFL? Oh, we're a couple of weeks away. So the first week in September, we're up to this, um, I call it this sort of uh, utopia world of sports coming up in America where the four seasons cross over. Right. right. So Major League Baseball will come up to its World Series, its playoff events, and then we've got the NBA starting to crank up preseason. The NFL starts. And if you're really into ice hockey, I'm not much of an ice hockey fan, but they're, they're kind of getting underway as well. So it's a crossover, a That's perfect right. time. I was, last time I was in the States was, uh, in fact, August the 12th I left two years ago. And I remember going to the States, and it was all the build-up to the NFL. So the NFL tends to start in early September, I gather, does yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. October is one of the best times to travel to America. It's one of the cheapest times. It's got shoulder season, yeah. and the fall changes, all the colours uh, of the leaves change, that sort of thing. And you've got all that sporting action. Great time to go and visit. You've got a great story about the Major League Baseball. Share it with our listeners this morning. Yeah, so so we've heard about, I've talked about Liam Hendricks with, with yeah. Tim Gossett. And, Liam, I, and I know his dad very well, Jeff Hendricks. Jeff Hendricks, who played for West Perth, yeah, right? Yeah, and his daughter is Jeff Hendricks and Liam's sister is very good friends with my daughter. So I know the oh, Hendricks okay. family very well. Is that not Sacred Heart College correct, connections there? Okay. Correct, yeah, correct. So, so Liam's a great story. Uh, signed a massive contract last mm. season. He's the only two-time All-Star in the history from Australia that's played in the Major Leagues. He, he's becoming an absolute superstar. Anyway, he's part of a game uh, between uh, his Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees to play at a place in Iowa, Mm. which was the film site of Field of Dreams, the 1989 Oscar-winning movie. The Kevin Costner movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the most famous lines in in movie history. That's where where he hits a ball and it knocks out the lights. Yeah. Yeah, You remember that? Yes. Yeah, so Kevin Costner, one of the most famous lines in movie history. What is it? Oh, sorry. Pass. If they build it, they will come, right? Ah. So if they build the stadium, people will come. All that very system. good. It's a very, it's a very um, sort of uh, dreamy kind of movie, that one, the, the 1985 film. Anyway, people love this movie so much. They campaigned the MLB to have an actual real game there, and they, they built the stadium actually in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. And they're going to play the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. And Liam Hendricks will have a chance to, to play in that game. What was Liam's deal? About $60 million, wasn't it? Oh, huge, huge. I can't remember the exact figures, but... Um, it I was... remember his dad telling me, and didn't disclose any details, but he said, my son's on the verge of a significant deal. Yeah. And, and I think he may have just floated between 50 and 70. I think he got about 60, if I remember. Yeah. But it was a, yeah. a significant deal. He toyed away for a long time before yeah. that at the Minnesota Twins. So he really earned it. Good on you. Uh, Waffle, just very quickly yep. in the few seconds remaining, 15, uh, it's Swans and East Perth. Yep, on, live on SENWA, thanks to Kier, it's going to be Swan Districts and East Perth from uh, Steel Blue Oval in Bassendine. The 1961 reunion, 60 years since that fantastic victory from Swan Districts, they're going to be wearing special special Guernseys for that. East Perth's still alive as well. Good on you, Tyson. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Sporting Goss. Catch you, you next week. Yes, uh, Peter Vlahos back. In fact, I've got about a minute or so. Thanks for joining us uh, on the Sporting Goss yesterday and today. Uh, all being well, the big fella Timmy Gossage will be back behind the microphone uh, in the chair.
here on the Sporting Goss from 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Big morning in a sense. We've had a lot of great guests, uh, but retirements has been the main theme with uh, Stephen Hill uh, announcing to the players and the staff at the Fremantle Footy Club about an hour ago that he's hanging up his boots. Uh, He's retiring after 13 years at the club. Well done, Hilly. An outstanding career. As uh, we know, he was an important member of the 2013 grand final team, an electrifying winman in his prime. And he only really played 15 games in the final three seasons due to injury. So he's made the call today. That'll be it. 13 seasons drafted by the Dockers with pick number three in the 2008 NAB AFL draft. Also uh, joining the 300 club and also announcing his retirement is former Carlton captain, in uh, Mark Murphy. He'll play his 300th this weekend and that'll be it for him. And of course, Tom Rutcliffe has also announced his retirement uh, and what an outstanding player he was for a couple of AFL clubs, more notably recently. Port Adelaide, have a great day. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.